I think the list of commandments was deliberately and artificially inflated to get it up to 10. It's a padded list. Here's what they did. About 5,000 years ago, a bunch of religious and political hustlers got together to try to figure out how to control people, how to keep them in line. They knew people were basically stupid and would believe anything they were told, so they announced that God had given them some commandments. Up on a mountain, when no one was around, God had given them the Ten Commandments. But let me ask you this. When they were sitting around making this shit up, why did they pick ten? Why ten? Why not nine or eleven? I'll tell you why. Because ten sounds official. Ten sounds important. They knew if it was eleven, people wouldn't take it seriously. Say, what, are you kidding me? The Eleven Commandments? Get the fuck out of here. But ten... Ten sounds important. Ten is the basis for the decimal system. It's a decade. It's a psychologically satisfying number. The top ten, the ten most wanted, the ten best dressed. So having ten commandments was really a marketing decision. <laughs> and to me, it's clearly a bullshit list. It's a political document artificially inflated to sell better. I'm going to show you how you could reduce the number of commandments and come up with a list that's a little more workable and logical. We're going to start with the first three, and I'll use the Roman Catholic version because those are the ones I was taught as a little boy. I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not have strange gods before me. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Thou shalt keep holy the Sabbath. Right off the bat, the first three, pure bullshit. <laughs> Sabbath... Sabbath day, Lord's name, strange gods. Spooky language. <laughs> Spooky language. Designed to scare and control primitive people. In no way does superstitious nonsense like this apply to the lives of intelligent, civilized humans in the 21st century. You throw out the first three commandments, whoosh, you're down to seven. Next, honor thy father and mother. Obedience, respect for authority just another name for controlling people. The truth is, obedience and respect should not be automatic. They should be earned. They should be based on the parents' performance. <laughs> parents' performance. Right? Some, some parents deserve respect. Most of them don't. Period. <laughs> You're down to six. Now, in the interest of logic, something religion is very uncomfortable with, we're going to jump around the list a little bit. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Stealing and lying. Well, actually, these two both prohibit the same kind of behavior. Dishonesty, stealing, and lying. So you don't need two of them. Instead, you combine them and you call it, thou shalt not be dishonest. And suddenly, you're down to five. And as long as we're combining, I have two others that belong together. Thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Once again, these two prohibit the same kind of behavior, in this case, marital infidelity. The difference is coveting takes place in the mind, and I don't think you should outlaw fantasizing about someone else's wife. Otherwise, what's a guy going to think about when he's waxing his carrot? <laughs> but, but marital fidelity is a good idea, so we're going to keep the idea and call this one, thou shalt not be unfaithful. And suddenly, we're down to four. 
But when you think about it, honesty and fidelity are really part of the same overall value. So in truth, you could combine the two honesty commandments with the two fidelity commandments and give them simpler language, positive language instead of negative, and call the whole thing, thou shalt always be honest and faithful, and we're down to three. Thou shalt, thou shalt, they're going away, they're going away fast. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. This one is just plain fucking stupid. <laughs> Coveting your neighbor's goods is what keeps the economy going. <laughs> all right? Your neighbor gets a vibrator that plays Oh Come All Ye Faithful. <laughs> you want to get one too. <laughs> Coveting creates jobs. Leave it alone. You throw out coveting and you're down to two now, the big honesty and fidelity commandment, and the one we haven't talked about yet, thou shalt not kill, murder, the fifth commandment. But when you think about it, <laughs> when you think about it, religion has never really had a big problem with murder. Not really. More people have been killed in the name of God than for any other reason. All you have to do... Yeah. Uh-huh. All you have to do is look at Northern Ireland, the Middle East, Kashmir, the Inquisition, the Crusades, and the World Trade Center to see how seriously the religious folks take thou shalt not kill. The more devout they are, the more they see murder as being negotiable. It's negotiable. You know? It depends. It depends. It depends on who's doing the killing and who's getting killed. So, with all of this in mind, I leave you with my revised list of the two commandments. <laughs> thou shalt always be honest and faithful to the provider of thy nookie, <laughs> and thou shalt try real hard not to kill anyone, unless, of course, they pray to a different invisible man from the one you pray to. <laughs> two is all you need. Moses could have carried him down the hill in his fucking pocket. And if they had a list like that, I wouldn't mind those folks in Alabama putting it up on the courthouse wall. As long as they included one additional commandment, thou shalt keep thy religion to thyself. Department. In the bullshit department, a businessman can't hold a candle to a clergyman. Because I got to tell you the truth, folks. I got to tell you the truth. When it comes to bullshit, big time, major league bullshit, you have to stand in awe in awe of the all-time champion of false promises and exaggerated claims, religion. No contest. No contest. Religion. Religion easily has the greatest bullshit story ever told. Think about it. Religion has actually convinced people that there's an invisible man living in the sky who watches everything you do every minute of every day and the invisible man has a special list of ten things he does not want you to do and if you do any of these ten things he has a special place full of fire and smoke and burning and torture and anguish where he will send you to live and suffer and burn and choke and scream and cry forever and ever till the end of time but he loves you He loves you, and he needs money. <laughs> he always needs money. 
He's all-powerful, all-perfect, all-knowing, and all-wise. Somehow, just can't handle money. Religion takes in billions of dollars, they pay no taxes, and they always need a little more. Now, you talk about a good bullshit story. Holy shit. But, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you very much. But I want you to know, I want you to know something. This is sincere. I want you to know, when it comes to believing in God, I really tried. I really, really tried. I tried to believe that there is a God who created each of us in his own image and likeness, loves us very much, and keeps a close eye on things. I really tried to believe that, but I gotta tell you, the longer you live, the more you look around, the more you realize something is fucked up. <laughs> something is wrong here. War, disease, death, destruction, hunger, filth, poverty, torture, crime, corruption, and the ice capades. <laughs> something is definitely wrong. This is not good work. If this is the best God can do, I am not impressed. Results like these do not belong on the resume of a supreme being. This is the kind of shit you'd expect from an office temp with a bad attitude. <laughs> and just between you and me, in between you and me, in any decently run universe, this guy would have been out on his all-powerful ass a long time ago. <laughs> and by the way, I say this guy because I firmly believe, looking at these results, that if there is a God, it has to be a man. No woman could or would ever fuck things up like this. So... When you wanna work 
The Washington Post is reporting that Donald Trump is losing it behind the scenes in the White House. Now, according to the Post and several other reports out there, they have spoken to people inside the White House who describe the president as, quote, furious. The first thing that Donald Trump is furious about, according to these people that these papers spoke to, is that he didn't understand how bad the midterms actually turned out for Republicans until a few days later. I mean, if you'll recall the evening of the voting.
I'm Shannon Martin from Podbean, and I'm here today to talk about monetizing your podcast. In other words, getting paid to podcast. I'm Shannon Martin from Podbean, and I'm here today to talk about monetizing your podcast. In other words, getting paid to podcast. And today will be part one. We'll talk generally about monetization and strategies, but we will also get a little more into depth about crowdfunding or patron programs. And in part two, we'll get more into depth about advertising. So let's get started. Before you consider monetizing, you want to ask yourself, of course, do you want to monetize? Uh, but assuming you're listening to this because you have an interest, we'll, uh, we'll go with that assumption. And of course, it also is about timing. So are you ready to monetize? And a lot of people ask, when's the right time? When should I ask my audience to support me or seek out advertisers? This is a very personalized question, and there is no one answer. I have seen podcasters who get started with the idea of monetizing before they even create their show and even have sponsors lined up before they have their first download. Most commonly, however, I think that people want to focus first on the quality of their content and building their audience. Those are the key foundations to being prepared to monetize. So those are the things that you want to have lined up. In the cases where people had it prepared beforehand and even had sponsors, Often they were experienced with podcasting before, or they had an online persona or community, 
and relationships with those potential sponsors uh, in a specific niche. So that is possible, but it's not the most common situation. So I think more commonly you'll find that people uh, look to make money from their show once they've gotten a solid foundation. And we'll talk a little bit more about what advertisers are looking for uh, in that a bit later as well. Uh, then, of course, your goals and priorities are very important in this. So you may have some concerns, and those concerns may be justified. You may worry that uh, you're going to alienate an audience by asking for donations or by adding advertising to your show, or that you're going to distract yourself from the work that it takes. Uh, those are important things to consider. It's con important to consider the risks uh, and the benefits. So will you make enough money from doing these monetization strategies to make it worth the extra time that you need to put in? And we'll talk about that more as well as some of the resources that can help you to make it simpler because it can be very complex and it can be very simple with some of the tools and platforms that are out there. So what are the ways to monetize a podcast? Uh, there are some primary ways. Uh, the most commonly known probably is thinking about advertising, and we will get into that in part two. The second one, which we'll go into more depth about today, is listener support. This is also often known as patron programs, crowdfunding, uh, or listener donations. So this is where your listeners uh, support you voluntarily. The third one is also listener support, but it's where you sell content, premium content. This might mean you sell a subscription or you sell uh, individual episodes. So uh, this is often used for people who provide a lot of educational value in their content or they provide a basic show and then they get into more depth with bonus content uh, or, or things that are almost akin to courses. Uh, selling products is another common way to monetize a show. This can be anything from show swag, like t-shirts and hats and mugs, to selling digital products like online courses, uh, ebooks, and uh, maybe access to a private group or coaching uh, type session. So there's all kinds of um, products that can be sold. Similarly, indirect monetization um, kind of dovetails with that. And indirect monetization means you may not make money directly from your podcast, um, but it does lead to income. So often this is used for people that are marketing services and the company that, that they own or what they do for a living um, by their expertise on their podcast or they're building influence, um, connecting with people through their podcast, which enables them to get hired as a speaker or a coach or to get work in their chosen field. So those are some of the indirect ways. Uh, I think that's often underestimated as something that's more commonly done out there and something that a lot of people may want to consider uh, even when considering uh, creating a podcast and what's
Our next clip is brought to you in partnership with Squarespace. Bring your stories to life online with Squarespace through a website, blog, or portfolio. So easy, I can even use it. For 10% off, head over to squarespace.com TYT or use the promo code TYT. The New York Times has just published an op-ed, and this op-ed was written by an anonymous individual. However, this is actually a senior Trump official. Now, because of obvious reasons, uh, this senior Trump official has decided to not share his or her, most likely his, uh, identity because- Mm, okay. Okay. So look, this op-ed does not look good for Trump. And this is not a former no. Trump administration official. This is a current Trump senior official. And here is what he or she has to say. The dilemma, which he, meaning Trump, does not fully grasp is that many of the senior officials in his own administration are working diligently from within to frustrate parts of his agenda and his worst inclinations. So that's an amazing admission right there. It's unprecedented. I've never seen anything like that where an administration official says, yes, I am inside the administration and working against the wishes of the president, oftentimes, not all times. He, he goes on to clarify, let's assume for, for now that it's a he, because that is the overwhelming majority of the people that work at the White House, that um, no, you have to understand something. There's a lot that I'm proud of that we did in this administration. Deregulation, tax cuts, you get the picture. Right, and, uh, and so they're definitely a Republican. No question, you can tell from the way they've written op-ed and how they brag about uh, free markets and, and all the other things. But what they're saying is, you have to understand, we're not opposed to the president's agenda. Those of us who are inside, and it's not, he says, it's not just him, that there are many others inside the White House they're not opposed to the president's agenda at all. They're opposed to the president being off the rails, as he describes it, and a danger to national security and basically our form of government. This, this confirms every single thing that we've been telling you on the Young Turks for the last two years. Now, you can choose not to believe anything you like, but New York Times isn't going to print this article and possibly ruin their reputation if this isn't a senior administration official. It most certainly is. This is a view from inside the White House and it is frightening. The best way to summarize this is by going to one line that stood out to me the most in this entire op-ed. Where this individual clearly stated, don't worry, there are adults in the room. Okay, so mm. let's get to the rest of this. Um, so early on in this op-ed, uh, the Trump administration official says, you know, that there are, of course, people trying to uh, go against or work against or mitigate his worst inclinations. And he says, I would know I'm one of them. So he's clear in saying that he is part of the resistance to Donald Trump within his own administration. To be clear, ours is not the popular resistance of the left. We want the administration to succeed and think many of its policies have already made America safer and more prosperous. Agree to disagree on that, but right. that's okay. Right, so he continues, the president continues to act in a manner that is detrimental to the health of our republic. See, that's really important. And that's another thing that we've been emphasizing on this show. Hey, hey, people say, won't Mike Pence be worse than Donald Trump because he's actually competent and might get more Republican agenda passed into law. No, that's not the point, guys. You're missing the point. That Donald Trump doesn't believe in democracy. Uh, and as this guy talks about, no, he's like in private too. He loves dictators. And he just, he would destroy our form of government and our republic in a heartbeat if he thought it was to his slight 
advantage, particularly financial advantage. So you're not getting the severity of the situation. That is why there's this unprecedented source within the White House going, he's a danger to the republic. We work with him every day. That is an unbelievable statement, danger to the republic. Because Donald Trump is now the president of the United States and does not believe in our form of government. So there were specifics noted in this op-ed, but one of the specifics that stood out to me personally was the utter disdain this particular person has for Trump's policies on trade. And that also solidified, in my opinion, the credibility of, of this person being in Trump's administration. We're talking about Republicans who traditionally have loved free trade, hate the idea of tariffs, and then Trump comes in and he decides, no, I'm gonna impose tariffs randomly and sporadically and do so in a weirdly retaliatory way. And Republicans have spoken out against it. Now, in this case, there are members of administra his administration who are lifelong Republicans, I would assume. And they see this, they see Trump's policies, and they're speaking out against it. And this op-ed is no exception. But I, I, look, I want to be clear about something. Because that example has two different directions, right? On the one hand, you clearly the guy is a, see that the guy is clearly conservative, Republican, etc. On the other hand, if all of this was just about, hey, I don't like Donald Trump's proposals on free trade, then I'd say this guy is a traitor. I mean, that's a strong language, but and I don't mean to the country, but I would say, yeah, okay, you disagree with the president. You're not allowed to undermine him. Right. Get the hell out of the White House. I don't want him arrested or anything, but I don't care if Donald Trump is the most conservative or the most right-wing guy in the country. If you just don't like his policies, then don't work with him. I need you to understand, and his examples clarify, it is not about that. It's not about policy. The guy is mentally unstable. He invokes the 25th Amendment, something we've been telling you about on the show all the time. I said it so many times. It's not about impeachment as much as it is about the 25th Amendment. The president is deeply unstable. And to give you an example of how unstable this person thinks Trump is, he writes, the root of the problem is the president's amorality. Anyone who works with him knows he is not moored to any discernible first principles that guide his decision making. So, you know, his morality is called into question, which is unsurprising for us, but it is good to hear it from someone who works closely from, with him. Anyone who works with him, as he says throughout, knows he's unstable, immoral. Uh, changes his mind all the time. So that reference to first principles is, as a politician, you are supposed to theoretically have principles. Now, I think that that's overrated. I don't think a lot of them have principles. I think their principle is who's signing my checks, mm -hmm. the donors, etc. Now, having said that, yes, but they pretend, at least pretend to have principles. Hey, I am for this and I'm against that. As he explains throughout the article here, he's like, no, no, he changes his mind on a minute to minute basis. There is no guiding principles for Donald Trump. The only thing is what's in his childish, stupid head at that moment. That's why even when they undermine his policies, he doesn't even realize they're undermining his policies because he's stupid, too stupid to realize it. Right. So uh, he also writes, in addition to his mass marketing of the notion that the press is the enemy of the people, President Trump's impulses are generally anti-trade and anti-democratic. So the anti-trade part uh, that I was referring to earlier was in that excerpt. But you know, the anti-democratic part is something that this person touched on throughout the op-ed. This, this worry about Trump's authoritarian nature, this worry about Trump having this affinity for authoritarian leaders throughout the world. He continues to talk about some of Trump's successes, but says that those successes didn't happen because of Trump. 
those successes happened despite Trump, which I thought were some strong words. So he lists those successes by saying, you know, effective deregulation, historic tax reform, a more robust military and more. And then he says the successes have come despite, not because of, the president's leadership style, which is adversarial, petty, and ineffective. So that's all the things, again, we've been telling you. You can see with your own eyes, he's clearly adversarial, and some people like that about him. But the question was, is that part of a strategy? And and I told you for two straight years, any pundit on TV talking about, okay, but Donald Trump did this because of his strategy is that. I'm like, no, you don't know him at all. I ignore anything this person says, because they're still trying to pretend that Donald Trump is smart and has strategy. No, here is a senior administration official saying, there ain't no strategy, and he's wildly ineffective. He's just lashing about because he's unintelligent, a child, impetuous, and yes, your eyes are not deceiving you, ineffective. The only thing we ever get done is despite him, not because he has some sort of brilliant strategy. So there's more, uh, he writes about what it's like to have meetings with Trump and how disastrous they are. Meetings with him veer off topic and off the rails. He engages in repetitive rants, which is unsurprising. And his impulsiveness results in half-baked, ill-informed, and occasionally reckless decisions that have to be walked back. So one thing that I want to just quickly point out, because we've talked about it yesterday, and I think it's definitely related to this op-ed that we're reading today, Bob Woodward's book is coming out soon, and uh, you know multiple publications, including the Washington Post, got a, an early copy of it. They've reviewed it and reported reported on some of the um, accusations against Trump. Which, by the way, Woodward is a renowned journalist. He spoke to uh, administ- current uh, administration officials, former administration officials, and uh, he's credible. And so now, all of a sudden, a day after the reporting happens on that book, you have a senior Trump official coming out and saying these things. And what it's really doing is reinforcing what Woodward has written about in his book. But more importantly, I think that this is a way, this is my speculation. I feel like this is a way of someone within the administration trying to calm or ease everyone's nerves, but also maybe even possibly trying to, in the future, clear himself of any possible wrongdoing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, but. Uh- and they're saying, look, remember, we're the, we were the good guys trying to prevent this madman from uh, doing something absolutely crazy. Don't hold us accountable for his actions. We're actually trying to restrain him. I'm going to relate this to Game of Thrones in, in a little bit. But mm-hmm. before I, I do that, two things on Woodward. And he's at this point fairly establishment, to say the least, right? And so people talk to Woodward if they're worried about something. So the Republicans are going to go talk to Woodward if they want to send a message. And the message that they're sending from inside the White House is, help, help, SOS. You guys that are not inside the White House have no idea how deeply irrational, impetuous, and ineffective Donald Trump is and how mentally unstable he is. We can't say it publicly. And finally, after Woodward's book has become public, this guy comes and goes, I'm just going to say it. I mean, I can't, if I out myself, I'll be fired, right? I don't want to be fired. I want to keep control of the Mad King. But, uh, yeah. but at this point, I gotta let you know, the guy's lost his mind. We have got somebody in charge who has no mind at all. And that, that's what's coming through here. And last thing on Woodward is, remember he got famous during Watergate. They, him and Bernstein had the fa- uh, famous um, deep throat source inside the Nixon White House. Mm-hmm. There's not one deep throat here, there's like dozens of deep throats. 
so many people inside the administration talked to Bob Woodward and were like, help, help, you, somebody get this guy out. You guys don't understand the severity of the problem. And I think part of it is a genuine concern about the direction the country is going in. But I think part of it is also the fact that Trump shows how unbelievably disloyal he is to everyone around him. Like he will shiz people, you know, at the slightest perception of wrongdoing, right? And so Trump's made a lot of enemies. And one of the things that I worry about, Cenk, is his base. Because Trump has already planted a seed of rigged elections, media as enemy of the people. And if the Mueller investigation goes forward in the way that we suspect it's going to go forward, I'm worried that his base is going to think that there was collusion against Trump and that things could get violent as a result of that. So mm-hmm. I don't know. We can have a longer conversation, but I do want to give you more of, of what this official wrote. Yeah, quick thing on the basis. Look, at some point, Half of them are going to be embarrassed that it turns out they were following someone who had already lost his mind. Um, And just like happened with Nixon, you won't be able to find a Nixon voter. After Nixon got impeached, Mm -hmm. they would do polls and they'll say, did you vote for Nixon? Now, even though he won and he won overwhelmingly, the polls would indicate that only a tiny percentage of the American people voted for him. (laughs) The reality is, of course they voted for him. They were just too embarrassed to say it. And yes, there'll be some people who will hold on for dear life and they'll watch InfoWars and they'll believe every conspiracy and they'll think, no, he wasn't crazy. Everyone else inside the White House was crazy. And Q was gonna let us know about how the insane asylum had been let out and put into the White House against the wishes of Donald Trump, even though he picked them, right? And they'll have all these concerns and that'll be a significant chunk of the country. But but probably a lot of people will say, I I, see Trump, no, I didn't vote for him. I don't know why he's Trump, who's Trump? Yeah, I mean, to a lesser extent, that happened with George Bush as well. And by the way, yeah. I mean, as we go here, you got to understand, there was one other thing that we were right about. Tick, 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 tick. This is the Republicans going, pushing him out the door, going, you, don't, you guys don't get it. He's got to go. He's got to go. So let me give you more. Some of his aides, meaning some of Trump's aides, have been cast as villains by the media. But in private, they have gone to great lengths to keep bad decisions contained to the West Wing, though they are clearly not always successful. That's gonna go to my Kingslayer theory in a minute. Okay, but there's more. Americans should know that there are adults in the room, and you know that's a, a, what I referenced earlier in the story. We fully recognize what is happening, and we are trying to do what's right even when Donald Trump won't. And finally, given the instability many witnessed, there were early whispers within the cabinet of invoking the 25th Amendment, which would start a complex process for removing the president. But no one wanted to precipitate a constitutional crisis. So we will do what we can to steer the administration in the right direction until, one way or another, it's over. Gary, he's telling you, use the 25th Amendment. We're inside the building. The guy is insane. Use the 25th Amendment. That is when the cabinet gets together and says, uh, and there are a couple of different ways to do it, but mainly the cabinet can say the president is mentally disabled. Uh, we need to remove him from office using the 25th Amendment and, and put in the vice president. I think they're going to have to go to it. And, and so <laughs> that's not me saying it. And I know a lot of people thought, oh, no, you guys are progressives. You're biased against them. Look, man, we're biased against all those conservatives, right? That's our perspective. I don't like John McCain. I don't think he lost his mind. I can't stand Marco Rubio, but I don't think Marco Rubio is crazy or stupid. You know, mm-hmm. Ted Cruz is a slime ball. That doesn't mean that 
that if he became president, we say, oh, now he's lost his mind. No, he's, he is who he is. This guy, we've been telling you from day one, he's monumentally, I mean, and now I'm actually feeling bad about calling him stupid about a billion times because he might be mentally damaged. I'm not, look, again, it's not me. It's a senior administration official yeah. saying, push the button, 25th Amendment. We gotta think about it, and we, and we gotta hang on for dear life inside the White House until it's over. Can he get any stronger than that? It's pretty incredible. And, and he, you know, he talks about how privately he shows a preference for autocrats and dictators. Uh, and, and he talks about John McCain and how he was honorable and put that last letter in saying, don't do partisanship. He's like, look, man, I'm a Republican, but this is not time for Republican uh, Democrat games. He said about McCain, Mr. Trump may fear such an honorable man, but we should revere them. Yeah. Wow. Hatred from the mighty and the mighty from the small. 